everyone. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I'm your host, Rosie Acosta. And today, I'm very excited to talk to my dear friend, Ethan Nickturn. Ethan is a senior teacher in the Shambhala Buddhist tradition, is the author of The Road Home, a contemporary exploration of the Buddhist path, and is also the founding director of the Interdependence Project. This is a conversation we're having about relationships, cultivating relationships, and how to create meaningful relationships and connection in our lives. There is a difference between romance and relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think just in general, as a society, what's our general relationship to romantic relationship? Yeah, well, I, th- I mean, I think it's, uh, it's definitely hard to generalize, but, you know, a couple themes where I definitely think the Buddhist teachings are, are relevant, you know, um, just to step back, because this is one of the ways I'm, I'm uh, thinking about it as I'm writing about it now. The founder of my tradition, the Shambhala tradition, Chogyam Trungpa, used to talk a lot about theism and non-theism, which he defined differently than, say, or differently from, say, a belief in God or um, an atheism. You know, he, he, when he was talking about theism, he was really talking about this idea of um, um, the idea that if we put our our trust, if we give ourselves over to some savior, um, then we will be okay. Then we will be safe. Then we'll then we'll have salvation. And um, he was talking about Buddhism as a non-theistic tradition in the sense that it's not about having a savior. It's about working with things as they are. So it's actually a different, rather than thinking about God or no God, it's, it's actually a different way of, of looking at the whole topic because it allows us to look at where in our life or where in our culture or society we are um, falling into the trap of thinking something external is going to save us, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think for a lot of us in American culture, you know, since we don't have a very religious culture, culture, for the most part, we have a lot of uh, agnostics and atheists and hipsters and postmodernists who are kind of moving beyond religious labels. But I think in our culture, one of the ways, one of the stories that we still really uh, get caught in this trap of theism or thinking something's going to save us is when it comes to to romance. You know, Mm -hmm. this this notion of the, this is kind of the narrative of the rom-com, you know, or the romantic comedy is like that that it's um, somebody's going to come along and um, save you, you know, and there's a certain plot structure and it's very heroic and it's, it's very like finding your um, person through struggle and then everything's okay. You know? Right. Um, and, you know, they never show the part of the rom-com where, you know, five minutes after the credit roll, you know, they get into their, uh, first big fight, you know, and how do they, how do they handle that? So, um, so that, you know, that's the way I'm thinking about is looking at the, the theism or the sort of the, the getting caught in the trap of looking for an external savior related to our sense of romance, you know, and then on the, on the other side, I think you could define sort of our, our more hardcore cynical approach is this apathy towards that. There's a kind of like, backlash against the idea of um a soulmate or a romantic savior so people kind of give up on the idea of romantic relationships altogether right it becomes very very cynical at that point yeah 
Yeah. Right, right. So Buddhism always tries to find the middle path between those extremes of um, salvation and nihilism and say, well, what's the middle path? It's like actually showing up and working with things, working with yourself, working with pe- people as they are. So um, I, I do think there's, you know, I, I think the, the reason I love the way that Chogun Trungpa talked about theism and non-theism is it, it really helps you look at um, not just religious beliefs, but how we sort of energetically or psychologically put our put all our eggs in the basket of like this thing is going to you know save me. And for some people, it's our career or our, it's our creative work. But I think it has such a particularly charged quality mm-hmm. of wanting to feel accepted, wanting to feel loved, and thinking that if we find the right person, we're not going to have any more problems dealing with our own heart and mind, you know, and I think that's the big myth or that's, that's the big trap is actually, you know, one of the things I've found um, is um, not only is communication really important, um, but uh, being able to have a good conflict and argument with someone that you're dating or in a serious partnership with or a long-term relationship is actually it's a great practice, you know, it's, um, in my life, when I've been in relationships where we didn't argue, it was actually highly problematic. You know? <laughs> it, it meant, it meant we weren't, we, we weren't really hearing each other, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually think that that's a really great point that you bring up is this idea where we think like we're not supposed to argue or we're not supposed to create conflict because conflict means mm-hmm. something's wrong. Right. 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 And so in your experience, when you've encountered that conflict, how have you dealt with that? Like what I'm saying is like when you weren't arguing, like, did you know after a while, like, wow, we've never had a fight and now there's a big problem. Like, how did you know that there was an issue? Well, usually um, I feel like the way I've, um, uh, you know, connected with knowing, hey, there's something off here is... um, when it gets into that space where there's a lot of unsaid or said assumptions about what the other person thinks or feels, you know, usually when you, when you don't argue well or don't have arguments, a lot of conversations get into a space where one person is just kind of speaking for the other person, you know, and mm-hmm. not really checking in, you know, mm-hmm. cause that's, I mean, that's, that's this really interesting thing about relationship, right? If, 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 if we were in a relationship with somebody who was just like us or somebody who agreed with us or somebody whose subjective experience of the universe was identical to us, we wouldn't be in a relationship. We'd just be with ourselves, you know? So within this quest for a relationship, there's a romance, there's an actual desire to mingle with something that's not you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and which means you have to actually open the space to empathize and have conflict of like, Oh, really? You like that? I don't, you know, and from little conversations to big ones, like just like which sponges to buy, you know, my fiance and I disagree sometimes about what the best sponge is for doing the dishes, you know, <laughs> luckily we're in, a, it, 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 that's a, that's a good situation because it means we're in a relationship where both of us are doing dishes. Uh-huh. This you is know? a quality conflict. <laughs> yeah. But, but that means we're both actually involved 
in the situation. So it's good that we actually have a disagreement about like which sponges we should get because it means we both like actually care about our life together. You know? Right. So in the moment, it could feel a little petty or feel like I can't be- I can't believe this other person sees the world differently from me, you know, but that's actually, this, this is the problem with samsara from a Buddhist standpoint is if you actually look at what your mind is, your heart is longing for to get into a relationship, um, you, um, uh, it's longing for something that's not you. It's longing for a, uh, a being who has, their own unique or different approach to the universe. So you're actually asking, you're saying I'm attracted to uh, somebody who loves me and somebody I can really build trust and support with, but also somebody who has a different perspective on things. So if in a sense, when you're in a relationship, you have to accept that you, you actually got what you asked for, you know, right. (laughs) You want, you wanted something other than you now here that is. I kind of want to touch on that a little bit with what we're talking about as far as creating this type of connection or this type of presence in relationship is expectation, right? And again, we can spend a whole afternoon talking about expectation. But I think that what you're saying is just being really clear with what what you're wanting to bring to the table. And for for me, I find increasing value in the practice of being transparent, right? So to Mm -hmm. repeatedly quiet the expectations of pretense to allow myself to feel more connected and to just be, be really clear with, with what I'm bringing to the table and, and what my, you know, expectations are, or what I, what I would feel like, uh, kind of held up in the relationship or feel like they're meeting me halfway. You know, I've been in a long-term relationship, Tori and I have been together for 11 years and it's been, a back and forth, you know, we've grown a lot mm-hmm. and we've been able to kind of navigate, uh, the growth, uh, and the peaks and the waves of the relationship and always coming back to, to that, to being transparent and to being clear on it. So, so it's exactly what you're saying. And I think that that's something that's really important, especially with, you know, single people out there dating now with all of these apps and all of these things and like yeah. wanting this amazing really wanting the fairy tale right like what you're saying like having you know the the knight in shining armor or like the princess walk in and you know whatever it is like this this whole idea that we get attached to that relationship needs to look like this and my partner needs to be this way and i need to find him or her and these are my expectations. And then when I'm not met with them, all of a sudden I'm just disappointed and I'm disillusioned by the whole um, the whole journey or like the whole dating process. You know, I think um, I think transparency is a really important thing. I think it's also important if you're a, a teacher of any kind of spiritual or psychological or wellness tradition. You know, I think um, you know there's a uh, uh, and this is one of the things I'm working with in my next book is like, how could I be transparent about my own process, not to put myself forward as a relationship expert? Because again, I don't, I don't think there is such a thing as a relationship expert. It's kind of an oxymoron. Um, there's a, there's a relationship practitioner. And I think there are people who are really well trained to help other people with their relationships. But to say that you can, you know, master your own relationship you know, that's a very manipulative statement, actually, because a relationship is at least two people and 
uh, an expert or a master is one person, you know, so it's kind of, a, it has this oxymoronic quality. Yeah, it's, but I really it creates think, separation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it also has a, has a feeling of like, I know what I'm doing when the whole point of a relationship is to show up and have good tools for working with opening your heart and being flexible and not knowing what's going to happen next, you know? Um, and, you know, and I think that's what our meditation and yoga practices are is to create mm-hmm. greater flexibility so that when life happens, you have the tools to be flexible, not knowing what's going to happen. And, um, you know, so, but the other the thing you said about transparency, I also think it's really important not just to be transparent to your partner or to people you're dating, you know, but I, I think um, it's really important for teachers to be transparent, not exhibitionist, but, you know, transparent about our process, because um, I think there is this tendency, and it's, it's very clear that this is the only time spiritual teachers get into trouble is when their students expect them to be not human mm-hmm. in their own process. And then they somehow buy into that, you know, that uh, expectation as like, okay, well, since you put me on this pedestal that I'm a different type of human being, I have to play to that now. And, um, and that's when every teacher scandal that's happened in the, in the Buddhism and yoga community has happened is there's a sense of, the, the teacher is no longer allowed to be kind of a, a transparent human with their own sexual desires, you know, et cetera. And it was interesting. I watched, um, I watched uh, the movie Spotlight um, oh. the other day. Have you, have you seen I've that I've not movie? seen it, but you it's know? on my list. I, want, yeah, I saw a preview and it, it, it looked great. Yeah, it, 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 it did look, it did look, it was, it was a great movie, really well sort of journalistic approach to this um, uh, great cast, really great cast, to this uh, scandal in Boston of the um, uh, very widespread, you know, true story, Catholic priests um, uh, molesting uh, underage boys, mostly, uh, I think a few girls, but mostly boys. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was this interesting thing because it took this classical, like, we have to do justice, we have to get these bastards, you know. But the whole time I was thinking is like maybe the pro- because this problem was so widespread and there are actually stories, some stories in Tibet of uh, ancient Tibet of similar problems in monastic communities. I don't believe they were nearly as widespread, but I don't you know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the whole time I was thinking like maybe part of the problem is you've created this situation where the spiritual teacher has to suppress their own sexuality and then has no way to work with that suppression. I mean, how else could it be this widespread that, (laughs) that priests are manipulate, you know, are molesting boys. There there has to be something about what you've asked them to do that kind of goes against their humanity, you know? And, um, and so that was the thought, I mean, just the subjective personal thought that, that I had during that. And I think it's really important in the 21st century for meditation yoga teachers to have really good conduct, but to also be, um, you know, it's okay, especially if you're teaching a worldly tradition like you or I are, to, um, to be a being with a sexual side and, and to actually be transparent about that, which doesn't mean you hit on your students. I mean, that's... <laughs> I would love to ask you about that because that's another thing that's really huge 
in in this realm, right? It's like that separation between mm-hmm. I'm in this quote unquote leadership role, you're the right. student, and then there's like this fake sort of veil that uh, that happens where it's like all of a sudden you you know everything you quote unquote you're the the person that has all the answers. Um, right. And if I'm seeking answers, I'm going to be drawn to that. Right. And so, it, right. again, like if, if I don't have the tools to, to be clear with what is actually happening and me not be able to see that what I'm drawn to is this this ability to, to learn these teachings or to evolve as a human. Uh, and it, instead, I think like, oh, I'm really attracted to this teacher and like what he's saying. And oh, my God, like he's really hot and I just really want to hang out with him. And he's got all the answers. And maybe this is the person I've been looking for. Oh, my God, she's beautiful and she's really attractive and right. she looks great in yoga clothes. And maybe she's got all the answers, you know. So. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that that's definitely something uh, to be to be considered. And it well, it, it does fall into the same into the same line with with that being transparent in in being able to be clear with what what it is that you're wanting i feel like for for the things that are happening right now in in the dating world or or people seeking a romantic relationship is like there just seems to be a lot of cloudiness around it's they're more concerned Mm -hmm. with somebody fitting into an archetype or, or them fulfilling some a void, right? It's like, I, it's what mm-hmm. you said earlier. It's like, I won't be happy until fill in the blank. Or when mm-hmm. I find my perfect mate, then I will begin to feel joy. Or then I will feel mm-hmm. my value. Or then I'll find my self-worth. And it's like, at what point do, do we start to really turn in and, and create the relationship with with ourselves. So it's like, I remember a Dharma talk, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of years ago, um, in LA. Um, and I can't remember the, the gentleman who gave the, the talk, but I remember, and it stuck, it stuck with me pretty, pretty like deeply. Um, he said something like to begin the exploration of relationship, you need to, uh, take inventory of how related you feel to the situations in your life. Mm. And, and for that really, that really struck a chord with me and it it really kind of just shifted my perspective with like okay wait so wait so i have to make an inventory about how related i feel to others i'm like how is that i i couldn't really make the connection at that point mm-hmm. but after a while i was like oh okay i get it the the relatedness is an inner felt experience right that mm-hmm. that i know in my heart so i have to ask I have to go in. <laughs> I have to like, yeah, I have yeah. to ask myself, I have to go in and, and, and do that practice to be able to begin to explore those things. Right. I think it's also, you know, I think that the key thing is a clarity of intention, you know, mm-hmm. and, and coming back to like, so, so let's, you know, there's, if we're talking about the dating phase, which is how you, you know, started talking about that. It's like, so, if you go on Tinder, which is an app I've I've never used, um, but a lot of friends use it, and I, I think it has some potentially beneficial uh, aspects to it. Um, what is your, you know, are you clear about your intention for what you're looking for and why? You know, because you're going to be able to communicate with people clearly from that intention. You're going to be able to hear what other people's intention is. So I feel like that's, you know, that the the 
times when we actually do the most harm to ourselves and others are when we're not uh, clear about what we want and what we're trying to do. You mm-hmm. know, and that's for my friends. And you know, I I am you know very happy to be getting married this year and to be you know <laughs> knock on wood not going back into the the um, the real samsaric whirlpool of of you know dating in America in in an American cosmopolitan city in the end of the 21st century but i think you know a lot of the frustration that people hear is is that it, there seems to be so much um confusion about intention you know so pe- whenever somebody's uh harming themselves or harming others or feels dissed or hurt by somebody else it's cuz not a clear sense of like, so this is what I'm looking for. You know, I like you. What are you looking for? You know, we're just not willing to be transparent because we're not in touch with our own um, intention, you know, which is, I think about, um, it's, it's hard to, um, be in touch with your own intention because you have to sort of assert a kind of presence and a, a desire to move your mindful energy in a certain direction, which um, can be very scary to actually say, okay, this is what I want. You know, mm-hmm. um, it can to actually hold one seat, which is the way we talk about it in Shambhala and say, here's what I am. Here's what I, here's where I am. Here's what I stand for. Um, you know, I think we're living in a generation that's um, uh, kind of uh, really, really, uh, afraid of um uh yeah sort of asserting like this is what i'm all about Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. the other the last thing i want to say is i wanted to uh give a a buddhist defense of uh superficiality or superficial attraction at least as i mean obviously it's highly problematic but that there's there's an actual human reason that um part of the way attraction works is superficial, you know, so mm-hmm. I don't want to just reject it out of hand. You know, I've, I've thought about this, like when I was thinking about Tinder, right. I think you swipe left or swipe right. If you like the person and then if they swipe left too, then you can, you, you can, can talk match to each up other. or something. Yeah. Like you get matched and then you're right, able right. to communicate. Yeah. And in a way I was thinking like, you know, this is sort of compassionate because it gets out of the way that really awkward part in any social situation at a party or a bar where you're like, does this person think I'm cute at all? Like, should I even waste my time? Like there's a sense, I mean, maybe it also ruins the mystique of all those anxious thoughts, which to me have their own appreciation, but there's also a way of looking at it that like you do have to establish, yes, they are attracted to me. I am attracted to them. And I think sometimes in, in more spiritual connotations, we think like to start with the surface that way is like somehow um, it's it's too reductive or, or something like that. And, you know, the way I like to think about it is everything has a surface. You know, the only way to to connect with something is to start with the surface of what that thing is. And the only way to connect with a person is to be attracted to something that you imagine that you experience on their surface and Mm -hmm. that's not the problem the problem is when there's nothing underneath the surface or the relationship doesn't move beyond the superficial level that it becomes problematic so it's not it's it's not that i i think attraction always starts at the surface and if you if we go into some 
sort of spiritual guilt mode about that, um, we're never going to actually make it deeper than the surface anyway, you know? I just think we have to leave space for, like, that. that's, it's, it's really what I was feeling having seen Spotlight is, like, nobody's addressing the real problem here, which is, like, there is something to human sexuality. It can be awakened. It can be used compassionately. And um, if you try to suppress it, that's when you're really going to run into problems. And I think, I think the notion, you know, that some Buddhist uh, people feel is like, oh, if I'm attracted to him or if I'm attracted to her, that's superficial. And, you know, I have to reject those thoughts or I should be attracted to somebody I'm not. It's just like, that's, that's not the way reality works. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's really trying to be compassionate within reality, right? Let's be compassionate, but let's be real too. Yeah. Well, that's the only way to be compassionate. Yeah, it's true. Um, I have a question just to, to kind of touch on what something that you said, and this is something that I've been curious about. It's like, you know, the, the whole connection on online, um, you know, you talked about, you know, you said something to the point of like the, the mysticism kind of being diluted. Um, you didn't say that, but like in so many words, that's kind of what I got mm-hmm. from it. Right from dispelling sort of that initial awkwardness when meeting somebody because you've already kind of in a way been quote unquote accepted or approved. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been, it's been, uh, like you, you got the go ahead, but I feel like, do you think that a little bit of that, like human, and I'd say human connectedness in the way of like touch and presence and like the way that we can talk online or via email can have a different tone when we're in person, right? So it's like somebody can have a really great connection on like say a Tinder or like a match.com and like all of a sudden they meet in person and it's like that spark just isn't there. And and I'm mm-hmm. finding that more and more. So it's almost like this sort of the 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 web that is technology that's created this connection between us all that's beautiful and great and I, I I think it's it's an amazing tool and it allows us to do what we do and reach a lot of people but also there's that sense of disconnection too to that humanist that interaction where it's like I don't want to text with you on the phone like I want to let's go to a coffee shop let's like go hang out in mm-hmm. person and and see each other you know and like be able to yeah. have that sort of that sort of connection and i feel like that the way that we meet people nowadays that that little bit of magic is is kind of gone right mm-hmm. so in in regard to romance and relationship how do you think that that plays a role or does it yeah well i mean i think uh you know i think Cognitively, there's definitely evidence and, you know, there's so much experiential evidence that, you know, uh, things feel richer and fuller when your sense perceptions are like actively and your just emotional perception is actively immersed in a in a connection with somebody. So it's it's um, it's just something about the way our brains, hearts, minds work that, that you know, when you are present with somebody live, um you know, like I'm sure we would be like, I feel very connected to this conversation, but I'm sure if we were having it over coffee and we were both seeing each other's, you know, hand expressions, et cetera, that there'd be sort of, there'd be even more resonance, you know? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think that's totally true. And you have to make time to, to really um, be 
be present with people. And um, yeah, I think especially, um, I, I do think there's something, I think it would be a real shame, you know, from the standpoint of my experience, from the standpoint of the Shambhala teachings, if technology uh, acted to remove the experience of vulnerability mm-hmm. from the, mm-hmm. uh, the human psyche, because the experience of vulnerability is such an amazingly awakened experience, you know, yeah. to actually use that as a source of strength, like, you know, to, um, to actually, um, there's, there's really nothing like it. I mean, you know, when you, mm-hmm. I, I teach things online sometimes, but like when there's a group of people in a room, like I, gave a lecture at the Rubin Museum and you know every time I lecture in a group of people there's a even though I do it a lot there's a moment of nervousness and just that moment there are about 150 people there being introduced and you're like oh I'm a real person here with other real people um that wouldn't happen if it was just a podcast or you know so I think the same thing in in friendship the same thing in relationship uh romance um but I also think you know the same thing to the superficial uh, uh, thing that I was saying about about the sort of everything has a surface is the the technology can facilitate initial connections in a way that um, I think is very powerful and is very useful as a tool. It can help us, um, you know, like we didn't, you and I have a friendship. We didn't have to meet in person to make that happen, mm-hmm. you know, which is very new and mm-hmm. And, you know, if we never, if you and I never had a cup of coffee together, then I would say, yes, something's lacking. And I would probably go into my old curmudgeon mode about, um, you know, the problems with technology and isolation, (laughs) throw in a few, um, you know, critiques of millennial culture. Right. um, (laughs) These kids um, lack connection. But uh, yeah, but I think it's wonderful that we were able to, you know. You, you can meet people online first. So I, I think it's uh, it, it has a lot to do with view and intention, you know, which is why those are the first two uh, parts of the teachings of the Buddhism's Eightfold Path is because it creates, that creates the sort of framework for everything that comes after. If, if your view is, I want to make myself vulnerable, I want to genuinely connect with people, and the way I use technology is to make initial connections, um, then I think technology could be one of the best things ever if your view is like i don't want to be vulnerable so i just want to have these kind of half-hearted you know isolated relationships with people then um that's probably going to lead to a more isolated and and uh, more cut off and and uh, less awake place i can see where that would create a, a huge void in in our ability to just create meaningful relationships can you just i don't know Tell us a, a little bit about the difference between what makes a relationship romantic and what doesn't. And I, I would I would ask, is it important? I know it's important. I'm sure you know it's important. But I, I just I don't know that we focus enough energy in relationships now that focus around that romance. Because again, like I was saying, I feel that a lot of that mysticism has kind of been... Uh, diluted a little bit what do you think i'm sure it's something you know you think of in your relationship i i definitely think of it um i think you know my friends who have small children it adds a whole nother level of like how do you keep the the fire going um when you move into 
more, uh, uh, you know, project of, of uh, raising other sentient beings. You know, how do you keep your own uh, passion together going? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's this, it's, I, I think it's this blend of familiarity and, and curiosity, which is always really interesting because I really feel like the kind of moving deeper into being awake one way I put it in the in in my new book is um, that I'm working on is really thinking about like one that we always have to approach things with beginner's mind, you know. So the root of romance is having an experience that's new, that's fresh, that um, is invigorating, that's not the routine, you know. And I think that's sort of this notion of beginner's mind is allowing yourself to be surprised. Um, but I think the other idea is actually knowing your partner well. You know, and um, so it's that combination of like adding new things, but also knowing who the other person is and where they're coming from and knowing how to play off that. It's a really interesting balancing act to, you know, to it's kind of like, you you know, you go out for a walk and you've you've been around the block before, but this time around is is completely fresh, you know, Mm -hmm. Um I think I do think you have to try new things constantly in a relationship. And that's whenever somebody says it takes work, I think that's a big part of the work. Uh, I think the other big part of the work is making time and space to communicate, have conflict, have disagreements. Um, but I think a lot of the work is like I'm going to keep pushing myself to try to find new ways that we could um, relate to each other, you know, um, uh, at the same time, it's okay if you have something of a routine sometimes. So, um, uh, I, that's, I, I think it's for me, it's like finding like, you know, I have a date night tomorrow night and I'm trying to think, and this is literally happening. I'm trying to think like, what, uh, what could we do that we haven't done recently, you know? Right. But also I'm thinking like, what could we do that we would both like, you know? So that's that blend of like, beginner's mind and familiarity you know yeah yeah I have to know my partner well but I have to know my partner well enough to surprise her in a way that's interesting <laughs> right that's not like oh we're going and, here again yeah so or sometimes that's it, nice that's a sometimes it is nice right but if you go there again could you have a new experience going there again um yeah hmm. so it's a really interesting balancing act I think again, the important thing is that you want to, you want to practice, you want to use your relationship as like, okay, let's, let's use this time to practice rather than like, can't we just have an easy time? Can't we just, you know, can't we just know that we love each other? Just like, why do we have to do anything? You know, (laughs) I think that kind of energy can be very, um, you know, in the, in the Shambhala tradition, it's like, you're just trying to get into a cocoon and, and, um, stay there. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, no, I I like that. I like that, too. (laughs) No, but I mean, it's been kind of like a a long process of, you know, getting to getting to know each other and and keep making those things, everything that you're saying. I mean, we we are both uh, self-employed, you know, we both run our own business. And it's important for us to be able to make time together. Uh, a couple, I just, we had, we did our own podcast talking about our relationship, uh, like two or three weeks ago. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it, it is a balancing act and it is important to spend time together. It is important to, uh, engage in healthy conflict. 
um, it's, it's important for us to be able to miss each other too. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. we work really closely together as far as like space. (laughs) So separation Mm -hmm. is, is quite nice sometimes. And, um, I travel and and he travels sometimes and it's, it's kind of great to just get that. We have three dogs. So then we're parents to two little Frenchies and a little Shih Tzu. And this is like our little tribe and we make it a point to connect and, um, you know, in all the ways, you know, we, we make time Mm -hmm. to have a tea date. Like we have a tea date once a week and we have a date night once a week. And so we'll go do, you know, tea ritual and then we'll go have, you know, dinner and a movie, you know, or we might stay in, Mm -hmm. but, but those are like the, the, the two pretty constant things that, that we at least like to keep, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in connecting. And, and we really use that time to connect. Like, I don't know if you and, Marissa ever, you know, spend those days or, or, you know, nighttime where you guys just talk and talk and talk. And it's just like, yeah, you just can talk forever. Right. It's like that. Those are the, the, that's like the time, uh, the time for, for talking to each other, just being with each other. That's like, that's where you begin to, to feel that to me, that's romantic. Like, you don't have right. to, you don't have to take me out to a fancy dinner and a movie. And like, to me, I'm like, wow, you, you put gas in my car. Like when I, I got in my car and it was full of gas, it was empty last night. And to me, I'm like, that's romantic, you know, or, right, right, right. or being able to like put toilet paper in the bathroom when it's running out, <laughs> you know, those, right. those types of things. I think it's, it's the little things of just, it's that, that care, that attention to detail that, that really helps spark that, that connection for, for me. So, yeah, I mean, it's all a balancing act and it's not always easy, but, but I think that it's, it's definitely, it's work, you know, it's not easy mm-hmm. <laughs> by, yeah. by any means. Um, so in, in closing, can you tell us a little bit about the book that you're writing? Oh yeah. 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 Well, it's not going to, it's not going to be out till, um, 2017 fall of 2017 so um in in the in the meantime um uh uh i uh you know the second section of of the road home is really called the journey of relationships right. and is, uh, you know a lot of buddhist teachings modernized on um on relationships, but I, I wanted to write a book specifically about relationships, but again, I didn't want to write it as a relationship expert. So that's kind of theme one is, um, of the three themes in the book are, um, uh, that, um, uh, there's no such thing as a relationship expert, but Buddhism does offer some really great tools and teachings for how to be present in relationships. Um, theme two is that personal stories work better than abstract philosophy, you know, when it comes to spiritual teachings, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, like for example, Pema Chodron, who's, you know, one of the probably the most famous teacher in my tradition, uh, when people find out that she, her husband was cheating on her and she, you know, threw objects at him, tried to burn down his house, you know, that's, that's what, that's what really endears them to her. They want to hear her past you know yeah so it's about that notion of trans- transparency and sort of decoding this idea that a spiritual teacher is supposed to be like other than human um and how problematic that that idea is 
Um, and then the third theme is really to pay homage to kind of this notion that culture and especially pop culture is a huge part of our spiritual narrative, you know, which may feel like a downer, but to actually, you know, there was a book written called the, the Dharma of Star Wars, you know, um, by my first publisher. Um, and just to kind of acknowledge that we're swimming in this cultural landscape, and that's where we get a lot of our stories, our spiritual stories from. So it's a little bit of a genre-bending book, but mm-hmm. it's um, basically 30 years of um, learning about Buddhism against 30 years of um, trying to be decent in relationships. And the three types of relationships I take on in the book are friendship, romance, and family relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that in 30 years of uh, loving The Princess Bride, which is my favorite movie. So, <laughs> Um, which is all about those three types of relationships. So it's called The Dharma of the Princess Bride. So it'll be out um, just before, I think, the the 30th anniversary of um, The Princess Bride, which is fall of 2017. Oh, that's so good. I'm so I love The Princess Bride. (laughs) It's so good. That's so, when I first saw that you, yeah, when I first saw that you were doing that, I was like, wow, this is going to be so great. This is going to be so great because, I I could see I could see how everything that you're talking about relates to the story and how it could relate to to our lives and where we are as a society and and it, that that's that sort of um uh relationship narrative that that we're in I think it would be very relatable and I'm I'm really excited and I can't wait to read it that's exciting thank you so much Thanks, everyone, for listening to Radically Loved Radio. For more information, you can go to radicallyloved.com. You can follow me on all the social media outlets, Instagram at Rosie Acosta, Twitter at Rosie Acosta, Love Radically on Facebook, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other things that I'm not mentioning, but I'm sure you will find them if you're looking for them. Thanks for listening.